wrapping up volume one of the stories of Jesus, the parables of Jesus. We're calling the moral of the story. In the new year, in January, the month of January, we're going to do volume two because Jesus told a whole lot of parables. So throughout the summer, we're going to pick this up and have moral of the story volume two as we look at more parables that will take us through that, that summer holiday time. But this morning, what we're going to talk about is what it means to forgive and what it means to forgive from the heart. Uh, why is forgiveness and forgiveness from the heart, why is that so difficult? Why, why is that so difficult? Why is it that it can be really, really tough to look at someone who's hurt you, like really hurt you badly, and want to forgive them? I mean, usually that's not our first impulse, is it? When someone hurts you, that's not your first impulse. When someone insults you, that's not your first impulse. Rarely do you lay awake at night fantasizing about how you can plot forgiveness. Rarely does that happen. Everybody's plotting revenge, right? But today we're looking at a story called The Unforgiving Servant and why plotting forgiveness is actually the moral of the whole story. So what I'd like to do is, if you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 18, please. Or you have your phones, flip it over to Matthew chapter 18. About three quarters of the way through, you'll find Matthew towards the, kind of towards the middle of that book. And we're going to look at the story that Jesus told. Now, to kind of kick it off, back in the 80s, back in the 80s when I was, I'm a child of the 80s. That's why I got dance moves that do not quit. And... Um, <laughs> There was an assassination attempt that happened on uh, Pope John Paul II. I remember this because I was in high school, and there were quite a few assassination attempts in the 80s during that time. Pope John Paul II was an uh, assassination attempt, Ronald Reagan assassination attempt. Most of the songs of the 80s were kind of like assassination attempts on our ears. <laughs> ice, ice, baby, it was just all bad. And, um, but in this case, Pope John Paul II was shot in Rome in the square in front of St. Peter's, but he recovered. And the amazing thing about the story is that after he recovered, he immediately went to the prison where they were holding the would-be assassin, and he offered forgiveness to the man. We know this because Time Magazine did this big story on it. I remember my teacher waving it in our, in our class about why forgiving, asking us as a bunch of teenagers, why forgive? Why is this important? Why forgive? And, and it became the question. It's been the question for over 2,000 years. And it's the question that Peter asked of Jesus in this passage. Matthew chapter 18, starting at verse 21. And this is how the story goes. Then Peter came to Jesus and he asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? See, right off the bat, you notice that Peter is talking about this idea of repeated forgiveness, all right? Forgiveness over and over and over again. And he's asking, how many times? How many times can I do this? Because it's a whole lot easier to forgive a one-off offense than it is to forgive continuous irritations, right? Right? Each of us have that continually irritating person in our lives, right? It's that, that irritating person, that psychologically irritating, emotionally irritating, relational sandpaper type people. You know what I mean? Without, without naming names, how many have experienced that kind of person in your life? Just raise your hand. How many are sitting next to that person right now? And <laughs> now, just kidding. No, 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 no. Yeah, we're going to practice forgiveness right now. 
So Peter, so Peter says, how many times, Jesus, how many times must I forgive my brother or sister? Now, when he asks the question, Peter, in a very Peter kind of way, then offers the answer to his own questions, up to seven times, up to seven times. And he's expecting Jesus to go, wow, Peter, you're so gracious. You're so generous. That's what he thought was going to happen. Because in Jewish law, Jewish religious law, you're required to forgive someone only up to three times. Fourth time, no way, you're gone. So up to three times. That was it for repeated offenses. So Peter is saying, you know what? I'll double down on that, and I'll add one more. Who's the favorite student now, Jesus? <laughs> and the Lord goes, well, no. He goes, would you believe not seven times, but 77 times? Some of your Bible translations will say 70 times seven. See, it's not about the number, though. The number doesn't matter. What he's saying is there's no limit. There is no limit to the amount you need to forgive people for repeated offenses. In fact, Jesus is pointing out that if you're keeping score, you're not really forgiving. If you're keeping track, oh, here we go again, you're not forgiving. And then in the very next verse, Jesus does what he often does. In situations where people got to learn, he tells a story. And he goes, Peter, let me tell you a story. And he starts off by telling the story of a parable about why we should forgive. Verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with the servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Now, let me try and put this figure into perspective because it helps us understand the rest of the story. This is a massive amount of money back in those days, all right? A, a bag of gold was a talent. Some of your Bibles will have a talent, 10,000 talents. And it was a monetary value that was so massive that people could not wrap their brain around it when Jesus told the story. So what is 10,000 talents? What is 10,000 bags of gold today? Well, we know from ancient um, Roman historical records that the total amount of taxes that was collected from the Roman government over four providences, think four states, uh, was 900 talents. So 10,000 talents is more than 11 years worth of taxes from four different providences or four major states. This is massive, massive debt. In current figures, and I had a lot of I can't say fun, because math to me is like, hmm. But I try to figure out what does that mean now. It's equivalent to 17.5 billion New Zealand dollars. 10,000 bags of gold, 10,000 talents in today's, today's kind of language. It was meant that, well, that was on Wednesday. I did that amount on Wednesday. Now it's probably more like 20 billion. But the point is... The guy had massive debt, right? Massive debt. And there was no way he could ever pay this off, ever pay this off. So what's he going to do? Well, in those days, bankruptcy was actually pretty simple. There wasn't an insolvency process that happened. The king would just simply take everything you have and everyone you have. He would take your wife and your kids and sell them into slavery. He would just take everything you have and he would throw you into jail. It was a very simple process, very quick little process. So the guy gets on his knees and he starts to beg because there's no way he can pay this thing off. Verse 25, since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him and said, be patient with me, he begged. I'll pay back 
everything. It's called the TUI financing plan. Yeah, right. All right? 17.5 billion bucks. I'll pay you back. He's saying, just give me a few more days. This guy is in panic mode, right? Um, he's no way he can repay this debt. It's absolutely impossible. The only way he could ever pay this debt off is if the king chose to forgive it out of his mercy. Because through the man's effort on his own, he'd never be able to pull this off. And everyone listening to the story from Jesus is leaning in because they know this. They know this. So what happens next? We're going to go through the rest of the story. And in the rest of the story that Jesus tells, he puts twists in it. There's three twists. Three twists. And each one of these twists teaches us something about forgiveness. Something about God's attitude towards forgiveness. Something about what we need to learn in order to be forgiving people. And the first one, the first twist is this. Well, God's forgiven me. I need to learn to forgive because God has forgiven me. Look at the king's response. Verse 27. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. No strings attached. 17.5 billion New Zealand dollars of debt over a decade's worth of taxes from four different states and all of his provinces. A huge amount of money forgiven, interest-free, just wiped clean. Now, can you imagine what it would feel like to have that done? Try to imagine that. What would you feel like if you just had $17.5 billion of debt and a lifetime of prison sentence for yourself all wiped clean? A lifetime of prison sentence for your children all wiped clean? A lifetime of prison sentence for your wife all wiped clean in one fell swoop? What would be the feelings around this? Relief? Is it overwhelming gratitude? Is it shock and awe? Is it just kind of happy and giddy about it? How do you think you would react to other people? How would you react to other people? Once your debt has been forgiven, how would you react? How might you react now to that guy in the pack and save parking lot who asked you for money and asked you a fiber? How might you react after you've just been forgiven all this stuff? You, you might even let people cut in line at the cafe after church because <laughs> you're feeling so happy and joyful around all this stuff. Or at least one Sunday, right? For at least one Sunday. So let's look at the servant's reaction. How might they react? And here's the second twist in the story. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins or a hundred denarii. And he grabbed him and began to choke him Pay back everything that you owe me, he demanded. But when this servant went out, and this happens right away, he's been forgiven the debt, he goes out, and right away he finds one of his fellow servants who owes him a hundred coins of silver, a hundred denarii. It's about 27 bucks. 27 bucks, he owes him. And over 27 bucks, he grabs him and begins to choke him and demands that he pay him back immediately. And we read, his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, I'll pay it all back. Sound familiar? And then it goes on. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. 
what is going on here? What is happening in this guy's head? He just had $17.5 billion wiped clean, all the slavery sentencing wiped clean, and now he's responding in this way to a guy who owes him 27 bucks. I suspect that one of the reasons he's acting this way is he doesn't really understand the extent of his own forgiveness himself. And that's kind of where Jesus is going with this. He's acting as if he still has a debt and he still has to scrimp and scrape as much money as he can to pay off this massive debt that no longer exists. And therefore, he doesn't really feel free. Welcome to the dark side of church. And you just don't feel free. The tragedy is that a lot of Christians live this way. They forget the magnitude of which we've been forgiven. Jesus talked about this a lot as parables. Unforgiving brother, the parable of the prodigal son. Um, we're going to look at that in the new year in volume two. But what happens is people decide to trust Jesus, to follow him. But then after that, they begin to think and act very quickly. But I'll, I'll make it up to you, Lord. I'll, I'll make it up to you. Uh, I, I knew I blew it in the past, and now I'm going to be better. I'm going to make it better. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to change. I promise I'll change. I'll keep the rules. I'll keep the rituals. I'll go to church every Sunday. I'm going to work so hard. And the problem with all those is they all begin with I, 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 I. And God says, no. You don't have to do that. The debt's been paid. What are you doing? See, they don't feel those emotions that we tried to describe earlier because those kind of people don't understand the grace that was lavished on them at that time. And therefore, they're ungracious to other people as a result. Notice the guy's harshness. He begins to choke him. Now, that's legal. That's condoned. Just like in some churches, it's condoned to point fingers. In this story, it's legal to choke someone else who owes you money. Uh, if someone owed you money and didn't pay you back, you were allowed to literally choke them until they paid you back or couldn't pay you back. So this guy's saying, it's my rights. He's saying, I'm right. I want justice. And then this is where it gets really real, really, really real. Whenever you find a Christian, a churchgoer, who is harsh and judgmental, and, and unbending and demanding and unforgiving of others and critical and negative and ungracious. When, when they find out about another person's sin, you can count on one thing for absolute sure. They don't understand. They don't understand God's mercy. They don't understand God's mercy and grace and forgiveness that was given to them already. Because when I feel unforgiven... It's impossible for me to be unforgiving. It's impossible for me to be forgiving. If I feel unforgiven, I cannot be forgiving. And that's why Ephesians reminds us. Paul writes in Ephesians. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. See, the Bible says that you and I owed a massive debt to God. Massive. And the Bible says there is no way in 17.5 billion lifetimes that you could ever pay off that debt. So the Bible says we have a king that wipes our slate clean. 
And it's not like he could just take a pen and say, okay, your, your debt's taken care of. Go on. Don't worry about it. That debt had to be forgiven. He's holy. He's righteous. He, it had to be forgiven. That debt had to be paid. So he came to earth Christmas. And then as Jesus Christ, he died on the cross to pay the debt of our sin in our place. Easter. See, at the root of all Christians' failures to live like a Christ-like life, at the root of our failure to forgive other people and to forgive one another, at the root of our failure to not live generous lives, to be harsh and critical and unkind and judgmental, at the root of our ability to keep falling into the same temptation and the same sin over and over and over again, at the root of all that is our lack of understanding of God's grace to us all. See, if you and I really understood what Jesus did on our behalf, if we really understood the depth of our debt and the eternal sentence we were going to pay, and if we really understood that was completely wiped away by Jesus Christ, we would be so inspired that we would live a life that God wants us to live all the time. We couldn't help but live it fully and abundantly, reflecting Jesus in everything we do, think, and say. That's the whole point of why Jesus came. Now, I've struggled with this part of the sermon. How do I help us get that? How do I help us all remember that? And, and I don't know how to do it. So I'm Googling. How do you get to church? From, and, and this movie clip popped up. And I went, it's the only idea I have. I'm going to show you a movie clip. It's from the movie Broke Down Palace. It's a movie about two young women, two young women from America, who were framed as drug smugglers in Miramar, in Burma. And the penalty was life imprisoned. But as they're being sentenced, watch what happens. Have a look at this video. Hi there. This piece of audio has been removed as it contains copyrighted material. If you would like to see the full thing, please come down for the in-person service at Hamilton Central Baptist Church. Try to imagine the emotion that is just kind of coursing through her friend. That look on her face as she's watching her friend walk away, about to take on the entire sentence for both of them so she could be sent free. There's relief and there's amazement, there's dumbfoundedness, there's this kind of overwhelming, obviously, gratitude, but it's a disbelief. It's a disbelief at this amazing love that her friend has just shown her. See, that ought to be the look in our faces. When we sing about Jesus and his love for us and dying on the cross, that's the look on our face. As we're walking around and hanging out with family and having a good time and laughing and making family memories, there should be a moment where that's the look on our face. When you're out uh, doing tramps along the river or out by uh, Raglan and, and you look at the creation, that at one point should be the look on our faces. When we realize that Jesus died on the cross to pay the debt for our sin and that God gifted us with amazing family and friends and environment and, and neighbors and life, when we look at the cross... Instead of looking at our own issues and our own hurts and our own injustices, we ought to be having the same look on our face, having those same feelings. 
How can we all not be forgiving when we have been forgiven of so much? But the servant in this story, he doesn't get it. He's so focused on where he's been wronged, so focused on what is owed him, so focused on what is rightfully his, that instead of forgiveness, he shows resentment. And that's the second twist. See, resentment makes me miserable. And that's why I got to learn to forgive. When I'm forgiving, it just makes me awful to be around. And I hate looking in the mirror because I'm just angry all the time. It's picking up at verse 31. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant uh, just as I had on you? The, the king is saying, look, you want justice? You want justice? Well, I'll show you justice. And in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. Look, I, I don't know what's happened in all of our lives in here this morning or all of our lives with people that are watching today. But I do know that when it comes to me, I don't really want justice. Not, not for my sins. Anyway, I want mercy. I want justice for everybody else. But for me, I want mercy. And that's where this guy's coming from. And as a result, he's thrown into prison. And it's the world's worst prison because it's the prison of a forgiving heart. See, resentment is torture. New York Times did an article about this. And in the article, they said this. There's a wealth of data that resentment is so dam damaging it ranks with cigarette smoking, obesity, and a high-fat diet as high-risk factors for early death. That's how much it messes with who we are. See, resentment hurts you much more than it does the other person. And the other person is actually totally oblivious to the fact that you're even feeling that way. Like, their life's fine. So let me ask you, what are you hanging on to? What's the hurt that you're still holding on to? What's the bitter memory that is robbing you of happiness and still hurting you as if it just happened again? There's that sharp pain in your heart every time you think about it. It's not worth it. This passage tells us to let it go. Now, I'm not trying to minimize your pain. Honestly, I'm not. I don't know what's happened here. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know the impossible thing that it is that you might have to offer forgiveness for. I don't know how complicated the issues were. I'm not trying to be glib about this, and I'm not trying to minimize your hurt, but I am trying to minimize the pain of resentment because that you have control over. When I've done this, and when I've done this about the pain and hurt in my own life, the resentment never went away. Not until I finally figured out I actually needed to ask God for forgiveness for the way I continually hated the person who hurt me. See, hate's corrosive. And I had said, God, I'm so sorry for the hate I have been nurturing for this other person. Please forgive me. And that's when I started to realize the resentment was going away. 
See, resentment is a prison that we've got to be set free from. And you can be set from this, free from this, and it can't happen today because of the third twist that happens in this story. And the third point is you need to learn how to forgive because you're going to need forgiveness in your future. You're going to need it. Don't raise your hands. But hear anybody here need forgiveness for something in your life right now? Or for something that you've done or thought this past week? See, look what Jesus says. And just let these words sink in a little bit. I'm going to read it twice. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Ouch. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. What does this mean? Because we also know it's very clear throughout the whole Bible that we are saved by grace. In spite of our deeds, it's a gift. So it can't mean that if I don't forgive one person at one point in my life, I'm going to hell. That can't be what that means. So what does it mean? And notice that verse, that phrase that's in yellow. The key verse, the key statement here is from the heart. Forgiving from the heart. And it's, it's not a lip service kind of forgiveness. It's not a, look, I'm sorry if I offended anybody. It's not that kind of forgiveness thing. It's not intellectual forgiveness. It's from the heart. And from the heart doesn't mean that you really, really, really mean it. It means it comes from a changed life is what Jesus is talking about. This means that to God, whether or not you forgive other people is a gauge of whether your heart has been renewed transformed, regenerated in Jesus Christ. He's saying that if I don't forgive others, it only means that I'm still stuck in prison. It means I'm not really free because I have not let Jesus change my heart. You see, here's a great life hack. All right, this would be an awful bumper sticker, but a great high flag. You're going to be hurt in life. And you're going to hurt other people in your life. And that's the hack. That's a real hack. You're going to get hurt and you're going to hurt others. None of us are perfect. We're going to make mistakes. So we have to live in this constant state of awe of Jesus' forgiveness of each and every one of us. Live in this constant state of accepting God's amazing forgiveness and then being able to reflect it back to everybody else. We walk around with hands opened, accepting the forgiveness of Jesus every day and then every day getting bumped and it spills out to somebody else. That's what it means to have this from the heart thing going on. See, it can't be just a one-time thing. It's a lifestyle. It's a consistent, constant way of doing life with family. You're going to have family sitting around your table at Christmas that you're like, oh, I was really hoping they were going to have COVID. And, and you're going to have to learn what's it mean to show love to them and forgiveness. It doesn't matter about what's happened in the past. Workmates and schoolmates and neighbors, and it's a constant lifestyle. So let's apply this. We're just going to get real down and dirty and quickly apply, apply this as we finish up. Ask yourself, do I right now need to forgive anybody in my life? And this is how you know. We're going to do a little diagnostic test. A little three-question diagnostic test to see if there's anyone in your life you need to forgive. The first test is the blame test. Do you blame anybody else in your life right now for your unhappiness? 
Who are you blaming for how bad life is treating you right now? See, blame is an indication of resentment. My life would be so much better if that person had it, and then you just fill in the blank. See, that's an indication of resentment, and you need to let it go. Simple test. Next test. It's the bitterness test. Are you keeping score? Are you nursing bad feelings towards somebody late at night when you can't sleep? As you're driving around town and you think about somebody, you finally realize that you're, I'm grinding my teeth right now. That's a good sign. Bitterness test. Remember, forgiveness doesn't mean you have to trust the other person again. Trust is earned, but forgiveness is never earned. Not by nature, it's a gift. Forgiveness is a gift. And you don't need to forgive them in person. I think we gotta take that off the table. Sometimes it's not safe to forgive certain people in person, depending on what has happened in your, in your life. But you do have to release them from the heart, let go. It's not my job to punish and hang on. I need to forgive and hand them over to God. So are you bitter against anybody? Do you blame anybody for your position in life? And then finally, third test is the behavior test. Do you find yourself reacting to any certain people when they walk in the room? Not because of what they've done, but maybe it's because they remind you of somebody that's done something to you. They have that same look or that same walk. Maybe you respond negatively to a whole group of people because they're the same group of people that had one individual that hurt you in your past and you resent that. See, it's an indication that you need to forgive, that you're taking it out on the wrong person. See, past relationships can destroy present ones. And if that's happening, you need to deal with it. Here's the thing about forgiveness. It's not fair. Forgiveness is not fair. And you think about it, is it fair that God forgave you of everything for all of eternity? It's not fair. See, that article in Time Magazine about Pope John Paul II, um, it said this, spectacles of revenge occur so regularly that they become a way we punctuate our time History unfolds for us as a sequence of detonations illustrating an unpeasable thirst for payback politics. How do you want to be known throughout history? Because we are all part of somebody's history. Do you want to be the person who says that for the way you treated me, for the way you treated people that I know, I'm going to extract justice and I want blood every instant that I can. And I'm going to perpetuate thousands of years of human history that just continues a cycle of revenge and revenge and revenge and revenge. Is that the story that history is going to remember about you? Or will you be the unfair forgiver? And you just forgive no matter how unfairly you've been treated and stop the cycle of revenge. See, that's what Jesus did when he showed up. That's what he did the way he lived. That's what he did the way he died. And that's what he proved when he rose from the dead. So if you're going to lie awake at night, fantasizing about how to get your hands around the throat of the guy who owes you 27 bucks, or are you going to be the guy that exacts and plots mercy and plots forgiveness 
and breaks the cycle. See, the thing about forgiveness is there's only two options. You can either release your hurts or you can rehearse your hurts. And you make that choice. So today, I'm going to ask you to make that choice. As we sing, metaphorically, as you're at the foot of the cross, make the choice to release, to forgive, to step out of that prison, and to live a lifestyle of this. As we become a people of, of grace and acceptance and walking alongside people to help them be the people Jesus created them to be. See, forgiveness is setting someone free from a prison cell and then figuring out that the prisoner was actually you. Let's pray. <coughs> Heavenly Father, I think I just want to pray first and foremost that we just remember that we remember how much you love us. We remember the extent you went to show us that you love us, to, that inspires us to forgive others the way you forgave us. God, if we have known you for a long time, if we have made a decision to let Jesus be the leader of our life for a long time, Holy Spirit, help us to remember. Remember the debt that you paid and to never forget and to walk around with awe over how much you love us and how much you forgave us, how much you have gifted us. And then allow us to be bumped into and to spill that out on other people. And if there's some people here today that have never made that decision, you never asked Jesus to be the Lord and leader of your life to forgive you, I'm going to pray. I'm just going to ask you to pray with me. Just quietly between you and God. You've been hearing this, hearing this stuff for a while now, and you're like, I'm ready. I'm ready to trust Jesus with everything. Just pray with me. God, I, I need you. I need your forgiveness. Please forgive everything that I've done, everything that I've said, everything that I've thought, everything that I'm going to do, because I give my heart to you today. And I ask you to transform it, to change it, to renew it, to make it beat the way yours beats so that I can offer the same forgiveness to others, so that I can accept your forgiveness and trust you with everything. Jesus, help me to understand your love for me. And help me to love you back in the same way. I give my life to you. I want to ask that as we sing today, sing it like a prayer. Whatever we're about to sing, sing it like a prayer. And just let God release, release, release.